This is the Kaiju Transmissions Podcast. I am your host, Kyle Bird, and with me, as always, is my co-host... Matt Parmley. ...who uh, forced an abrupt end to a, a deep discussion about the MCU uh, to get this this recording going. Um, did. Yeah. <laughs> with us should be a, a slightly familiar voice. Um, we are welcoming back... Uh, the goat from uh hillbilly dvd reviews who was on the movie graveyard podcast which um he was nice enough to invite us on for uh gorgo and uh godzilla 1998 commentaries uh he was on our power rangers episode once upon a time um uh and uh yeah since he goes to us anytime he needs something giant monster related. Uh, knowing that he is a fan of director Larry Cohen, I knew I had to go to him uh, for Cue the Winged Serpent, which has been on our list for quite a while, but I think with the recent passing of Larry Cohen, uh, we kind of wanted to um, get this out there. I know I certainly had the itch to watch some Cohen movies uh, uh, when I heard that he had passed, and uh, now is as good a time as any. So, uh, Goat, welcome back, sir. Thank you, and hello to all the Kaiju Transmissioners out there. It's good to be talking with you guys again, Matt and Bird, and all everybody who's in the Kaiju sphere, and, you know, this podcast, Reaching Worldwide. You know, everybody who loves giant monsters, it's awesome, and uh, I think it's awesome that we get a chance to now talk about, you know, kind of one of the few giant monster movies of the early 80s, kind of before, you know, the whole genre was came back you know i think it's cool that larry cohen was actually able to make kind of an independent giant monster movie back in the day for sure and will definitely a really original and unique one um that you know uh is really not like any any i mean anything out there but yes the early 80s was a dark time for monster giant monster movies um from like the King Kong remake through Godzilla coming back in 1984, there wasn't much going on, um, and uh, yeah, those those were like probably the darkest days. <laughs> um, and somewhere in in the middle of that, one of the few things that did happen was Cue the Winged Serpent. I think we should kind of give a little bit of a primer on Larry Cohen, who he is, why he's important. Um, why his death was such a bummer. Uh, Larry Cohen, 
First of all, there's a great documentary about him called King Cohen. Um, it's on Shudder right now. You can rent it on Amazon and other uh, other you know streaming apps. Uh, but um, if you want to know more about him, I highly recommend it. Um, but uh, did even did either of you guys see the documentary yet? Yeah, man, it's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so. Larry Cohen, I'll give like the Cliff Notes version of his, uh, I guess, origin story. And um, he, he'd he been an active screenwriter his whole life, really, from his college years through his, his death. But, um, you know, he started out writing for TV as a teenager and uh, I guess, and eventually graduated to, to movie scripts. And eventually... Um, he just got so tired of of people, you know, doing things with his scripts that he might not have liked that he said, you know what, I'll just make the movies myself. And even though he continued to write and sell scripts till he died, but that that's why he got into directing. Um, and <laughs> the thing about Larry Cohen, part of what makes him great, uh, I don't think everyone could pull this off and still make good movies, but he really didn't have the know-how. He was just like, I'm just going to write the movie and shoot it. Like... What about it? <laughs> so you know he right. would he would go to people to uh, invest, and I mean he would put up a lot of his money to make these movies, and you know he wasn't concerned about getting shooting permits and acquiring locations. He would just go somewhere and shoot a scene. Uh, and a lot of the times, people around would have no idea that they're even that there's a movie shooting, and uh, that's like what they call guerrilla filmmaking. But that's like that at its like to its extreme and you know he would just like uh for example there's a movie um uh i don't i don't know if it's black caesar or hell up in harlem uh, i i can't remember one of the black exploitation movies he did has a scene with two guys fighting in an airport on the like luggage carousel and he just walked into the airport had someone stand back a little bit with a camera and shoot these guys not like for real fighting but fighting and people thought like oh wow there's a real fight and like he didn't get permission from the airport or anything and and at one point the guy runs all the way up the the ramp and into the thing that the luggage goes down and they continue fighting there it like it's insane it's stuff that really could only have been done in the 70s in early 80s i mean you couldn't make everywhere let alone airports now are so tightly secured there's cameras everywhere you can't do a lot of what he did now but um that's just an example or like he'll have a scene where someone gets hit by a car the accident's completely staged but he just would go out in the middle of a, a road and have someone get hit by a car and like get people like running up to the person. Those would be like the real reactions of people. So it's like kind of a candid camera kind of thing when it comes to crowd scenes and extras and stuff. So like that that's just the kind of mind that makes these movies and his movies are really just insane and wacky and he he's done a lot of genre stuff i think his horror movies are the most well remembered but um namely q of course but also uh the it's alive trilogy um and um a favorite of mine the stuff oh yeah that's pretty funny. <laughs> uh and i mean you watch these movies and they're so I mean, they might be a little rough around the edges, but they're so unique and creative, and he just does things that no other person would, in their right mind would do. Even 
even from a story perspective, the stuff is a is a satire of commercialism about a dessert that is addictive and takes you over like Invasion of the Body Snatchers, and then it turns into the blob at the end, and like it. That's not even to mention like the little like just weird quirks that he would put in visually or gags and Q has a lot of those so we'll get into those but yeah yeah Q is really screwball <laughs> with its filmmaking techniques I would say so um, I mean in a nutshell I guess that's Larry Cohen the person uh, the director um, and I mean the documentary is just full of great stories uh from you know a time in hollywood that is pretty much gone and how uh one guy with a camera just made it happen and the way he would just crank out screenplays and movies is really like it's like roger corman almost like he'll crank it out and like He'll crank out a script in a day and have the thing filmed and in the can in three weeks. Like, that's that's Larry Cohen. Um, and a lot of people can't pull that off, and if they can, they can't do it well. But, again, one, he, he's a special yeah, one case. One thing i got to say, too, though, just to add to it, like, even though uh, what I think kind of separates uh, Larry Cohen, because there are a lot of those guerrilla filmmakers who shoot stuff very quick, um, but Ian Q is like a really good example of it. Um, even the stuff that he kind of shot publicly, guerrilla style, he still gets a lot of coverage. Like I don't know if he always had multiple cameras or if he just had it planned out or what. But it's 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 not like you're watching one long eight minute take that is like like he actually has good camera angles and good editing for the most part. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and and then so it's like he actually had some talent. It wasn't just. Like there's a, a, people that crank out shitty B movies in two seconds or a dime a dozen, but when they're good, that's when you have someone like Larry Cohen, and he's uh, he uh, that that was like his thing. And then like if you actually, it's easy to write off some of his films, but like if you actually pay attention to the dialogue and the characters and stuff, like it's it's like very often very witty, very smart. Um, like, Q is crazy of a movie, and even, like, kind of charmingly trashy of a movie as it is, like, it's smart. <laughs> it's smartly written. The characters, like, the dialogue is just, like... It's very snappy. Yeah, it's, sure. yeah, that's great word. Yeah, snappy. Um, so this movie in particular, now that I've, we've kind of gotten people familiar with who this guy was, um has a, an origin that's also crazy um so larry cohen was he was doing a a movie in the hollywood system and I, like i said earlier i mean him and the studio system do not get along it's like oil and water and the producers on it it was a crime movie called i the jury um based on a series of novels i believe like noir a noir kind of thing. Um, he wasn't getting along with the producers, and uh, they fired him. And uh, the that movie did end up getting made. Um, and he was determined from at that point. He was like, "I'm gonna make a movie and beat them. Have it done before their movie." And coincidentally, Q and I, the jury, opened against each other, and Q made a lot more money, so 
Cohen won out in the end. Um, but that also means uh, pre-production was short, so it was about a week of pre-production. Um, and Larry Cohen, uh, he he had put himself up in a hotel in New York, and he had uh, he'd paid for the hotel already, and he didn't want to waste the hotel room he paid for, so then he just hired actors and a, uh, a crew and got the script ready in six days. And this is all because he got fired off a movie and didn't want to leave the hotel that he already paid for. <laughs> and that's how and that's and that's how Q came to be. And the idea was he looked at the Chrysler building in New York and he said that would be a great place for a monster to have a nest and uh the Chrysler building should have its own monster. Let's make that movie. That's exactly what he did. Um and uh and it, it we wound up with Q, which is a, a cult a cult film. It's widely loved i mean in the king cohen documentary you have martin scorsese on there talking about how much he likes q and the stuff and larry cohen so again i mean this isn't just crappy trashy stuff to write off even if it looks like it um and uh and so so that's how q was conceived uh, like a lot of movies and things that we talk about on this podcast, it's largely by accident. I mean, it, if anyone that's a loyal listener has probably heard us tell the story of, well, this one movie got canceled, and so they, this happened instead a billion times. And this is another one of those, only it's accelerated. Um, and uh, so uh, Larry Cohen ended up making this for... Uh, about eight times less than the movie he was fired from, I the Jury, and uh, it made uh, it, it was critically well received. Better, I mean. So, uh, cue the Winged Serpent. Um, uh, the this is a unique take on the Giant Monster movie because it essentially combines Giant Monster film. Uh, gangster film and uh, like cult like yeah. horror uh, and it just throws them all into a blender and is like well this is what comes out and it's very it's it's very odd um, either of you guys want to volunteer with a, a plot breakdown since I've been yammering uh, yeah I go go you got it yeah I'll give it a try. I'll kind of just try to outline basically there's basically three or four main storylines going on with this. So right from the get go opening scene, you know, what have you, like it makes no bones about it. There is a giant, uh, you know, kaiju, uh, cue the winged serpent flying around New York City, basically plucking people off rooftops and whatnot. And while this is going on, we, we kind of slowly get introduced to some of our main characters. There's a couple of cops played by the awesome um, David Carradine. And also with them is Richard Roundtree, Shaft. And uh, they're basically investigating like all these corpses that are falling from the sky, half-devoured by Q. Meanwhile, you got Michael Moriarty, who uh, is he's basically <laughs> a wheelman for robberies. And he gets involved with some gangsters who are doing a diamond heist, a very reminiscent, a little bit of a Reservoir Dogs, I say. And uh, he just wants to drive, but unfortunately they force him into this robbery gone wrong. So there's a lot of storylines you have to track. And on top of it, 
there's kind of this like background story of somebody um sacrificing flaying people cutting their hearts out doing whatever um you know in who is basically it's a it's a worshiping uh thing to the uh you know the god meaning cue the winged serpent so like basically once you kind of get all these characters introduced in the movie you track what happens so basically moriarty goes and you know he gets mixed up with these mobsters and you know, he basically the robbery goes wrong he has the diamonds for a little bit but he gets hit by a car the diamonds go flying you know he loses them uh so he you know retaliates with these gangsters are basically going to kill him or do whatever you know like really do something bad to him so he leads them up to uh where he knows uh q has a nest in the chrysler building because he 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 went there to see his lawyer but somehow he wandered upstairs uh, <laughs> uh there there's so, there's some security guard shenanigans i won't go real because the security guard's not super important to the story but uh i don't want to spoil all that but yeah uh, yeah so he knows there's this nest up there it's a pretty awesome scene where he he leads the um the uh see, the uh, mobsters up there and uh, they get eaten and uh it's pretty it's pretty comical but pretty gory at the same time and uh Basically, what you have it is um, just to wrap it up is you have his story intercept with the cops. He basically, you know, he's going to go down for the robbery. So in exchange for immunity and for supposedly a million dollars, he reveals the location. And then you, the last 30 minutes is pretty much the cops trying to take on Q. Uh, the winged serpent, great action scenes and whatnot. And I, 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 I mean... We definitely need to talk about the comedy hijinks of the first, whatever, two-thirds of the movie. But I think for you traditional kaiju monster fans, I think it's really like the last 30 minutes, what you guys say, is where they're really going yeah. to get the majority of yeah. their thrills out of this one. For sure. Uh, and, um, I mean, and, and that's something that, I mean, I like mo- monster movies like this. Like, uh, I would put Q up there with something like... Um, Cloverfield or Troll Hunter or um, Monsters, the the Gareth Edwards movie is so, is something that's taking the giant monster genre and really mixing it up and making it something different. And your mileage, like for people that are want a more traditional monster movie, you know, your mileage might vary. Uh, but you know, for me, it's it's very refreshing to see something that takes a creative way to kind of turn a genre on its head and mix it with other genres and that's why i like this movie a lot and also the ones that that i just mentioned um uh but yeah i i think yeah the last half hour or so is when you really start to get into the monster action um it's peppered in there but uh i mean the good news is all three storylines i think are engaging and uh and the characters i think are really entertaining and work very well yeah for sure because i I think what works well is um you have some real iconic actors here and carradine and roundtree kind of playing the cool guy personas that you would you would want and i feel like they liven up the movie and then on the flip hand you have the the criminal character played by moriarty who's just this guy's just all over the place like (laughs) he's what i don't know what i don't know what he's doing but it's amazing i you can't take your eyes off him (laughs) it's it's literally like jim carrey before jim carrey you know what i mean like like it's just it's just crazy like like the and there actually is some you know once he kind of sees the monster and then you know the guys get eaten and stuff like especially once he leads the monsters to their death uh in the queue nest um 
there's actually a kind of good moment where he starts slipping into his you know, delirious state, which which actually kind of is some good acting. I mean, it's just, you know, it's pretty, like, rip-roaring. And, uh, you know, I think probably Cohen wanted him to go overboard, and he kind of did. But uh, I, th- I think it adds another layer. And, and even the relationship that Moriarty and Carradine end up having, like, one of my favorite scenes of the movie is where they go to get coffee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's actually that is a great scene. That the dialogue there is fantastic and it's it's hilarious. And I I think really, you know, like as much as this is a gorilla shot B movie, um I think there's a lot going for it for scenes like that that you're not, you know, like like we're saying what Cohen's good at. Like you're not going to get that in the majority of of really low budget B movies cuz usually those things are um you know, those kind of low-budget B-movies, like, the directors don't really care about the actors, and they're not trying to have the actors interact in an interesting way. They're just trying to move the plot, you know, from point A to B to C, and monster eats people and stuff. So I, I think that's where this movie, like, like you're going to have to kind of, you know, know that you're being strapped in for a wild ride, and there's going to be a lot of characters going on. And, you know, especially when the, the crazy you know cult leader guy they like they're chasing him around and stuff and he's running around a warehouse with his 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 basically his bird costume on <laughs> right uh, i mean it's it's just wild and woolly but i think if you're the type of person who who's able to sit down and watch a movie that has a lot of different tones to it I, I think you're going to have fun with it. You know, like I think probably the first 20, 25 minutes while they're setting everything up, all the different character storylines, you know, a lot of people are going to kind of be like, what the hell is going on here? But like once you kind of see how it's all going to intercept and line up, like you're definitely, you, it's it's a wild ride, but you are in some good hands here with the way Cohen's telling the story, you know. And, and you know, being this being a low-budget movie and – um Q for the most part there are like some giant hands and stuff but for the most part he's a stop motion creature obviously you know they can't just this being a limited budget they can't just put him on the screen non-stop all the time but the times that you do get him i think it's some really good stuff here from the era i mean how would you guys grade Q in terms of you know this movie came out in 1982 so we're really talking late 70s very early 80s low budget filmmaking here i mean how would you rate him against other, you know, kaiju characters from the the time. It's no uh it's no Harryhausen, but it's also not trying to be. Um, yeah. It, I, I think like the, the the gore and stuff is where I had the most fun watching it, but like the monster stuff is it's fine. Like it's it's serviceable I guess. But like that's kind of what I think the intention was. It wasn't trying to Right. And and it it came out at a time like eighty two that's around the time of Clash of the Titans. Like the Harry House, the stop motion stuff was kind of on its way out. But even then, it you were still Harry Like I said, you he was kind of at the end. But um, when you did get stop motion, you know you can always be like, yeah, it was no Harry and it. This isn't necessarily, but it it's it's surprisingly very smooth and competent animation um, from David Allen and uh, Randall Cook. Um, and uh it's it's very uh you know it's it's a low budget movie so it's you know a little more sparse than what you would see in a, a Harryhausen movie but um i think the i think the animation is very good it's very competent um and uh, i think that uh q uh q stands for quetzalcoatl I, I don't know if we mentioned that that that's like an that's a real aztec mythological creature but uh, I, I don't think um, 
<laughs> I don't think the mythology is what is portrayed in the movie. With, I think that's just <laughs> yeah. made up by by Cohen. But um, the the Quetzalcoatl in the in the movie is is it's a very good creature, and um, it doesn't have the most screen time. But when it does, uh, I I think um, I think it works. Um, yeah, it's not Harryhausen, but. Uh, I mean, again, like Matt said, it's not really trying to be, and uh, it's 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 better than you would expect a movie of this budget to be, for sure. There's some uh, like, <laughs> did you guys? I love the scene like pretty close to the beginning of the movie where the dude's cleaning the windows and like he's trying to he's talking he's basically trying to hit on the girl inside she can't hear him but he's just making all kinds of crazy comments <laughs> yeah he's like oh i know you love me <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then like all of a sudden the girl turns around the dude's head is missing and it's just like that kind of stuff that sets the tone for the entire the entire <laughs> thing <laughs> yeah and i mean if you don't like that then you're not gonna like this movie but if you do then this is like right up your alley and and there's some really cool tidbits about the movie, like Michael Moriarty's actually a very good jazz musician, and like they basically wrote a scene where he goes into a bar to audition for uh, to, to basically play piano, and that part's awesome. And then you have like the stuff on the um, the Chrysler Building, like they they basically they had real cops like just come in, bring the uniforms for the day, and then they also had people like on the outside when they're shooting at the monster trying to kill him, they were raining down bullets that were freaking people out below so much so that like they basically said hey let's go film those people's reactions so again that's one of those things we talked about earlier where like this is what cohen does the reaction you see from people fleeing on the street that stuff is actually real so much so that they got kicked out of the chrysler building at one point because and like shut down and cohen wrote like an apology and i think variety or something mm-hmm. so was, i mean yeah, like, it was really in one of those trades about, yeah yeah it's pretty awesome stuff yeah that that was a real window washer too that <laughs> That guy. <laughs> that <dude's awesome. laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. People thought there was like a uh, someone, terrorist yeah, a terrorist attack or something. And well, he's, like, it's in the '80s, and like, so yeah, it makes that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, uh, and yeah, he had to take out an ad in in the trade saying, uh, "Sorry if we freaked you out. Uh, go see Q. <laughs> it's coming out. It's coming out in a couple sorry, hours. Sorry we terrorized you, but now go see what we're actually doing at the time." <laughs> uh yeah and king cohen john landis had a funny story because he was shooting trading places like a couple blocks over and the the police were like hey we gotta shut everything down we gotta go and then they came back 45 minutes and they were like yeah it was just someone shooting a movie and then landis you know being familiar with larry cohen like the next day in the paper he's like oh it's just larry again (laughs) just larry going wild (laughs) Imagine if someone tried to do that now. Like, Dude, I was just about to say that. Like, that's yeah, it would never happen. I, I, there's a story that they tell about one of his other movies. Like, the cop, he had a, a basically a guy, a cop shoot a black guy, and like everybody was like stepping over the dude's body because they didn't know what to think. And, like, is he okay? Is he not okay? Like, people were just. It's crazy to think that he did, or like the. Um, he had he had a police officer like go down to a parade, a real parade, and just like had him in dress in uniform like walk with the people in the parade yeah. and filmed it yeah that was that was andy kaufman the comedian yeah he put on a cop suit it was god told me to that was the name of the movie and yeah he he just like had him like walk with them in the parade <laughs> and like no and, like, i it's one of those things that like you always like every now and then you might see something like that happen and think like you know how easy would it be to just like blend in with this 
Like, uh, right. <laughs> like people are all like, I've heard people joke, like, you know, if, if only they had one of those like bright, like, orange or yellow vests that like construction guys have like they could just walk in anywhere and no one would say anything like there's i feel like there's some truth to that well if the uh, security guard scenario is to be believed nobody knows how to do anything so (laughs) yeah well the best part about the security guard character is he's he's like you know uh, basically stationed at the top floor of the not even like the top floor but really like the top like whatever you know point of the uh chrysler building and uh it, like he when he tells the cops you know uh he's like i don't even know why they what they have me guarding up there but it must be something valuable <laughs> <laughs> i think it should be noted too like at the time i was i was i was watching the movie and was like this is weird why is the building all open like that but like at the actual time of filming they were doing actual construction up there. Yeah, that's what. That's yeah. Why, yeah, so that's why you have all the open terraces yeah. and stuff. <clears throat> yeah, like, uh, yeah, they they said like the guys in the little uh, like, um, like carts or whatever. Yeah, buckets, like, carts, whatever yeah. you call them. It, it the end that are holding machine guns and trying to shoot the monster around the building. Like the only reason that was even plausible was because the, they were already there and the people they just gave the the construction workers and and stuff like machine guns with blank yeah yeah (laughs) just had them do it (laughs) um yeah i i I think i would i would describe this movie like the first the first act is like uh i mean there's elements of the monster the gangster and the police procedural stories in throughout the whole thing but like i think the first act is primarily the gangster stuff so think like the first act is like reservoir dogs the second act gets into more the police procedural um kind of murder mystery kind of thing like uh finding trying to find out who's skinning all these people and removing their hearts um and getting to the bottom of of it being like a a ritual sacrifice to the god quetzalcoatl and then the third act is like your giant monster movie and they all intersect plenty but I think that's the best way to kind of describe what you're getting into. Um, because I'll say this, when I first saw this movie, I was thrown for a loop by it because I was, I was like, like it didn't, I was expecting a movie called Q the winged serpent with the cover, the VHS cover of a giant feathered reptile flying above the Chrysler building I thought that was the movie I was going to get, and I didn't really know how to feel about it after I watched it. I don't. I wouldn't say I disliked it, but I was like, eh, I don't know about that. And then later on, when I was a little bit older, I gave it another chance, and I was like, this is actually, like, really good. Like, I'm invested. Um, so, yeah, I think if you know what you're getting into, that you're going to see a weird mashup of genres with a lot of focus on, you know several human-based stories i think if you go in knowing that i i think that the movie will probably work a little better um if you go in and not know that i would say give it another shot like if anyone listening to this maybe expected that and watched it and came back like eh no i know our 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 good old buddy Kyle Yount from the Kaiju Cast. I know he, for a fact he hates this movie, <laughs> so I I I, I I I would I would ask those people maybe give it another shot and just 
get absorbed into it because like when when you when you know what you're getting into it's easier to pay attention to the characters the dialogue the plot and there's a lot to like there that i i definitely didn't pick up on on my first viewing yeah i I think it definitely um you know with just kind of like the wackiness of all the the non but still kind of related monster storylines like just all the stuff with the people it kind of has like that weird sensibility um that you would get for people that are like because there's like a whole group of people now that are just like a fan of like canon films you know like a lot of the 80s like crazy canon films like the chuck norris movies charles bronson movies and all just like the little little weird movies canon makes it's like it's kind of got like that it's a b movie but at the same time it's like that that heightened reality B movie where everything's like over the top and crazy. And like, I think a lot of it, like it kind of makes sense too. um, the gorilla shooting, when you kind of see like the, the dirty and grimy early eighties, New York setting, you know, and just, cause there's a lot of aerial shots where uh, Q is flying around. And like, there's some, some parts where it kind of, you know, um, he's flying around, um, you know, like really nice modern buildings, but there's other parts where you can kind of see like the landscape of just how broken down and like how many just empty crumbling buildings there were in New York. So like, as far as the setting of the story, I actually think it was like, you know, that time period of New York and where the city was at. I think it's actually a great setting for a giant monster movie like this. Cause like a whole part of the early storyline is basically that this thing is happening, this giant, uh, you know, winged serpent is coming down, tearing people apart, pit, living off rooftops, and it's like, for a little while, like New York City kind of just wants to <laughs> ignore the problem, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, like nobody, well, nobody believes it because like very few people have seen it, and like they basically make a point to talk talk about the sunlight blinding people when they look up, and then it goes and hides in the building, so nobody actually gets a clear view. Yeah, and in the Chrysler building, because like you said, it was under construction, like. It's hard to believe that it's like really the Chrysler building because it's so decrepit and medieval up there. Like where, <laughs> yeah, where Hughes Nest is. And I, I think just for the kaiju fans out there, like, uh, you know, because it is kind of like a tenant of uh, these films like Godzilla, Baby Godzilla, Gorgo, Baby Gorgo. I, like, I think you guys need to talk, talk a little bit about that scene where all the cops come and like Carradine kills uh, Baby Q in the, in the egg. That's a massacre is what that is. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, was... because at first you think he's just going to shoot up the egg and that's going to be it. But then you see Baby Q actually try to come out. Like, I, I kind of wish we could have got a better view of Baby Q. I, th- I think it's actually, for this low-budget movie, I think it's actually a pretty cool puppet. Because it actually does resemble resemble the full-grown stop-motion creature, like, quite well. Yeah, it's, it's well done. And it, it screams for its life and gets executed. <laughs> yeah, it, and it's, it's yeah. There's never a consideration of like, wow, this is like a. It's basically a dinosaur egg. Like maybe we should like take it somewhere and maybe like, you know, uh, see if anyone might want to study it or something. It's just no. We're it's just going to be riddled with bullets. <laughs> yeah, they're just going to Tommy gun that bitch to death, and that's that's exactly what happens. And it's kind of like a party atmosphere. Like it's just like a police free for all. You just have all these police guys running around with. Automatic. How are they not shooting each other? <laughs> yeah, during that scene. At the very least, Ricochet is going yeah, everywhere. Something's going on. Yeah. Oh man. Um. 
uh, speaking of like, uh, we talked, you, we talked about the stop motion. Um, uh, they, uh, they, <laughs> they filmed everything before giving it, like I said, David Allen and Randall Cook, the, the animators, um, who, you know, would design the creature and bring it to life. They, they, he, sh- Cohen shot the whole movie before giving it, before, uh, hiring anyone to do, to do the, the, the stop motion. And so, you know, when he gave them, uh, you know, when he approached them, they were like, okay, well, we got the script, we'll, we'll go through here, you know, we'll storyboard some stuff out, we'll see what we need, and, and, and Cohen's like, no, I don't think you understand, the, the movie's done. <laughs> we, and they're like, that's not how this works. And he's like, well, we're making it work. The movie's done, uh, just... <laughs> make some make a creature and let's well, I'll give you some footage to animate over and uh there you go. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's pretty crazy that he wasn't working with the uh the animators. <laughs> you know, he's basically just shooting plates and being like, "Yeah, just put this bastard in here cuz <laughs> cuz it actually surprisingly for a 1982 film the part where Q's like flying around the building and all the cops are like in the little carts or whatever, like hanging off the building shooting them. It's actually pretty, like, quickly cut together. Like, the editing's pretty good and fast-paced. I was kind of surprised, you know, how good it was there. So, when you watch it, some of those scenes, like, it, you, I thought, the, like, he had it all planned out, you know what I mean? But, you know, apparently it just was all kind of a happy accident that he was able to edit together in a, in yeah. a good way, I guess. And all that uh, aerial stuff was actually shot for this. Like, I, it, it's probably easy for a lot of people to look at it and think it's stock footage, but he actually... Yeah. He actually had that footage shot, which some of it is crazy. There's one where the camera goes between the World Trade Center towers. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, that's insane. And, I mean, now things like that are pretty easy because you can just hook a camera up to a drone and fly right. fly a little drone anywhere. But back then, like, yeah, you had to have a camera guy in, in a, a helicopter or, or something, like, shooting this stuff. So, yeah, I don't know who, who would, when he's like, yeah, fly through the Trade Center Towers, I don't know who was like, sure, we'll do yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> you think you would need special air clearance, like, that, that That would be, like, basically illegal, but I guess back then, yeah. you could just, you know, if you just had a ballsy enough pilot just to go and do it, like, yeah. and, and nobody saw it, it'd be okay, you know? Yeah, man, I, I don't even need to... F- find an answer you know larry cohen ain't getting air clearance for it you can actually kind of tell it's 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 not stock footage because usually any movies especially from that that era i mean i still like it's real blatant to me even brand new movies now when they use aerial stock footage because it never matches but back then you know different film stocks film types lighting whatever settings but yeah, like all the aerial stuff, it it matches very well with the visual look of the of like the other scenes in the movie. So yeah, you, you can definitely tell they filmed it for this movie. Um, I think some of the the coolest stop motion is, uh, I mean, I love Q, um, but some of the best stop motion is actually the 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 quick shots when he's like like tearing people apart and then you have like the stop motion version of the humans. Like I thought some of that stuff was very cool. Like when he's throwing them to the ground, like, uh, I think, I think, yeah, I think when he throws Richard Roundtree, like he drops them and there's a little stop motion guy, like, 
Yeah, and and some of the police in the baskets, he actually pulls out of the baskets and like drops them, and you and you see like the little stop motion cops like falling down to the ground, like like flailing their their stop motion arms and stuff. It's kind of cool. Yeah, kind of like uh, when uh, Ronnie Cox gets thrown out the window and uh, RoboCop. Yeah, yeah, it's just <laughs> like that. Yeah, like that's what it was really reminding me of. And I guess we should mention that pretty well-renowned actress uh, Candy Clark is in this as Moriarty's girlfriend, but she really doesn't have much to do other than just kind of flesh out Moriarty's story of like being a sad criminal, you know. Right. Yeah, but it's pretty pointless. I mean, like, I felt like the relationship worked pretty well because of how intense it was, and especially how intense Moriarty is the entire movie. And yeah. she, she, for the brief time that she's in the film, she balanced that out pretty well. And I, I thought it gave it a bit of levity that it, that the movie probably needed. Yeah, it, and it, it seems like a realistic portrayal of someone that's just stuck with this <laughs> shitty ass criminal. Yeah, she's, you know? yeah exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely a product of a time where they have an argument where she talks about how she's not going to let him uh, like smack or punch her anymore. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. that was a bit uncomfortable. But <laughs> that was yeah, that was really raw. Like I was kind of shocked when that happened, but but yeah, like like I'm actually uh uh I'm actually uh, several years older than these gentlemen, so I actually had the pleasure of uh, seeing Q uh, in the theater when I was roughly about five years old, and obviously my dad <laughs> took me. What five year old? Wait, wait, wait! <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Was your dad Michael Moriarty? Moriarty? <laughs> well, I mean, pretty much. I mean, I was. You know, I was how many movies had you even seen at that point? <laughs> he was like two years old and going to watch like porn, basically. Is what five years old. <laughs> I mean, like, every now and then, like, like pretty much the only rule, and this was most of the time, because the majority of the time, a lot of times, I just went to the movie just with my dad, but sometimes my mom would go, too. Um, and if my mom was there, like, pretty much, like, the only censorship was uh, if uh, there was a sex scene and her nudity, my dad, because my, I mean, obviously, I was a little kid, too, but my dad had giant hands, so he would just... He would just cover my eyes when the sex scenes would happen. Everything else, like, <laughs> was on full display for me. Matt, your your son's about five, right? Yeah, I couldn't imagine. <laughs> imagine, <laughs> not, not, like, not, not only imagine showing him this movie, but taking him to the movie theater. Yeah, let's, <laughs> I'm going to go spend money in a movie where a girl sunbathes and rubs lotion on her boobs. For, like, <laughs> and then gets eaten to her first, but yeah so i mean and i mean we saw it we enjoyed it and we actually like i honestly remember like we talked about it for years later because it was like you know every now and then we'd be talking about like old because like back then i mean yeah you had video stores but it's not like every video store hit every movie let alone every obscure movie so like i went like a good 20 something years before i caught this again on tv or something and we just would be like, yeah, remember that one movie with, with that that giant uh, monster? It was in the Chrysler Boats. So, I mean, not only did we see it, and enjoy it, but we actually, you know, we remembered it for years and years and talked about it. So I mean, that just kind of shows, you know, um, how uh, lasting of an impact like an independent, you know, little B movie could be back then. If, you know, if you're so, like a genre fan. Or so, so when you rewatched it uh, as an adult, how much of it did you actually remember? Um, believe it or not, with, with, like the majority of my memory, I really remembered the aerial scenes quite well. Like even like the camera shots, like that's kind of what I remember about the movie. The the only thing that's like really that that like I weirdly did not remember at all 
from when I was a kid is I didn't remember the Michael Moriarty stuff at all. Like I just remembered the aerial <laughs> yeah, stuff when he was attacking, when Q was attacking, and I remember the nest scenes. And uh, you know, I kind of remember when the cops were fighting him at the end, but that's really all like my memory, you know, that I had, you know, and and like you know, I, I mean, I guess it's to be expected or whatever. Because um, movies back then were even big studio movies. When you watch them, they were much rougher than what a studio movie, even like sound and shit, would be much rougher back then. But like when I was, um, you know, as an adult, um, like I think I caught this on TV, you know, throughout like once or twice throughout the years, just just glimpses here and there. But I didn't really sit down and rewatch the entire movie until I bought the Blu-ray about three years ago. But when I watched it, I was kind of just like. You know, I could pick up on the as an adult, I could pick up on the like gorilla vibe and whatnot, and really how much of a B movie it is. I was kind of surprised that like, that was the main thing that brought me back. You know, kind of knocked me back was I was surprised that you could tell like how low budget of a film it actually was. Because when I was a kid, I mean, it just anything with the giant monster. I mean, he's flying around in the sky, and you see him and whatnot. And you know, I to me, I thought this was like some huge giant movie and the the poster is very striking i do remember the poster as a kid and i probably saw the vhs cover or something later on down the road but uh yeah that, that was the main thing um it wasn't so much that the movie didn't really hold up it just the tone of it was completely different from what i remembered and just you know the kind of like the feel of it i was surprised you know what it actually was uh, learning that you saw this movie in theaters at the age of five uh, answers a lot of questions about you. I understand you. I understand. I feel like I understand you so much more now. Uh, yeah, the way so why you are the way you are. <laughs> so, so when you tell when you when you you hear me say. I ain't going to go see some bullshit PG-13 horror movie. You got to understand, I was watching Q at age five. In the, in the movie theater. In the movie. There's no going back from that. Oh, man. I, like, I'm debating if I can take my son to see the newest Godzilla film. Because, I mean, not the monster stuff. It's going to be, like, all the, the, the human things that happen. I'm like, is he... Is he going to be okay with that? But apparently, if you were the dad, he'll be fine. I mean... Uh, Bert, I have to ask you, we, we were talking about this offline. You got to give me some of your favorite lines of this film. We talked about the snappy dialogue, and this has some hilarious... Oh, my God. I, I, there's a lot. There's so many great... Mo a lot of them having to do with Michael Moriarty, because uh, he's, like, he's throwing himself into... Like, I mean, people know Michael Moriarty. He's a character actor. They've seen him on a lot of TV shows and in some a lot of movies. But, like, anytime he was with Larry Cohen, like, Cohen just, like, tapped into this manic like do what you want kind of go for the fences thing that i don't know if any other director is really taken advantage of with him because he he is the stuff he's also crazy and awesome yeah, in he's but great in the stuff yeah but yeah it's you know if if you're familiar with him like he never really gets a chance to just go for it the way that Cohen lets him. And I, I think a lot of that has to do with uh, him being such a, an actor's director. Like, he pretty much lets the actors do whatever they want and improv however they want. And if it works, he just tells them, keep going for it. And who does he go for it? Um, I mean, we <laughs> we mentioned the crazy improv jazz uh, piano piece that he does. Um yeah, that's the most insane thing in the movie. Uh, he's just kind of bang on the, the the piano going. Blah, 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 blah. 
um, but yeah, I mean, uh, the 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 dialogue is great. One of my favorite, like, uh, <laughs> one of my favorite early things is um, when Richard Roundtree and David Carradine are talking about the window washer with, and they can't find his head. And uh, he's like, well, what do you think it happened to it? And Carradine's like, I don't know, maybe his head just got loose and it fell off. I don't know, what do you want me to say? <laughs> like, I, that part makes me laugh. Um, uh, there's a part, we mentioned Moriarty and Carradine getting coffee. Uh, there's a part later where they're arguing, um, and uh, <clears throat> Carradine pays for his coffee, um, and then Moriarty takes out the, the quarters that he paid for the coffee with, and he throws them at him, he's like, here, stick this up your brain, your stupid little brain. <laughs> and then Car- David Carradine's response to that is just, he looks at him and squawks like a bird, he go- <laughs> and, then, and then walks away. It's so bizarre, but, like, I, it's so uniquely, like, a Larry Cohen kind of humor and just odd oddness that like you can't help but be just awestruck <laughs> and that like those are those are some favorite scenes if you want to talk about just some like legitimately good acting um we already said michael moriarty is out of control it's a powerhouse performance but there's an actual scene of like real i guess maybe almost sympathy for him it's maybe the one time in the movie that you kind of feel bad for him is when um, you know, he's trying to go- negotiate with the police, because his whole thing is he knows where the, the creature's nest is, and he's like, I'm going to sell this information to the city for a million dollars, and I'll be praised as a hero, and that's his plan. <clears throat> and so he's negotiating with the police, and uh, there's a part where he gets in a heated argument with the police, uh, and um, I don't know if it's the mayor, but he he starts to kind of break down and, and tell tells them about how, like, when he was a teenager, um, like, he was, you know, picked on by cops, and, uh, you know, it's, it's actually kind of like, there's a sad, a sadness to that part of his performance in that scene, that, like, it makes him feel like a real person, as, as wacky as that character is, um, so, yeah, I mean, that that was one, that was one of my favorite scenes, too, so, Cause like Moriarty's like so crazy, but then there are those like r- those random scenes when you're really not expecting it that pop up that are poignant like that. So that's why I actually would say he's not just doing a slapdash, crappy thrown together performance. Like he's go- he's really going wild and he's pulling out a lot of stuff. But like there's a lot of moments where he really pulls together a good performance as well. Yeah, and and I appreciated that even for just that one scene and even like just that little bit of dialogue like just that combined with how well he acts it out like it added a whole other like dimension to this character who would in the hands of a less capable writer and director would be just this kooky caricature there's that uh that scene where he leads the gangsters up the ladder and he's like all screaming eat em, eat em, crunch crunch oh that's great too uh, that 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 line is not hilarious but apparently like Cohen was telling him to say that and they just kept rolling and that's what came out. It's just, those are the kinds of things that this movie brings to the table that are both a lot of fun. And, uh, I also, I I really enjoy the relationship that he has, um, with Joan. I mean, like there, there, there's, that makes him a believable character to me because he knows he's, he's a screw up and he talks about how he is such a screw up. And there's such like a, a passion, 
in his belief that he knows how bad of a person he is. And, like, it, it does. It makes him feel real. So all the other quirky stuff then becomes very believable. Yeah, well said. I I, I agree. Um, you know, you see a lot of actors that are just going to chew the scenery and go nuts. But, yeah, stuff like that, I mean... These are these are reasons why it's not like a typical B movie made by someone that just wants to get it, get the thing done and out as soon as possible. Like there's there's some real care put into the the work here, um, and I, I I think like Larry Cohen, uh, well even that documentary even. <clears throat> coming out, you know, I think a lot of his work is kind of being reevaluated, similar to how, like, you know, the book on Ashiro Honda came out, and people kind of took, are taking a second look at his movies and realizing they're a lot smarter than what people assume. I, 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 I think and I hope that that's happening with Cohen as well. I mean, the documentary, the first thing you see is J.J. Abrams talking about how much he loves Larry Cohen and how he... Uh, spent a ton of money getting a, a replica of the It's Alive monster baby puppet. And then he tells a story about how he, he got to meet Larry Cohen when he was uh, a young boy, and Larry Cohen remem- remembered it all these years later. Like, he he was with uh, <clears throat> the son of some famous actor, and Larry Cohen asked them how to get directions. And J- Abrams was like 12 or something. And then when And then Cohen called him, and Abrams was like, you know, we actually met before. I was like 12, and you asked for directions, and he was like, oh, you were with, I forget who he was with, but he was like, you were with so-and-so, right? And he was like, yeah. So, you know, I, I, I hope that people give these movies, like this movie and the stuff and It's Alive, and I, I hope people give them another look. Um, uh, <clears throat> but yeah, like the... Those are just some moments, people. There's some... some conti- The whole movie is full of these delightfully amazing, like, kind of WTF, who comes up with this moments. Like, there's another... There's a, <laughs> there's a part uh, where there's, like, a group of people on a roof, and there's, uh, there's someone doing push-ups, and someone's counting push-up, their push-ups, and they get into, like, an argument about it for, like a minute and a half or something before the person goes swimming. And I think there's a, a another Quetzalcoatl kill like shortly, like right after that. But it's like what it, it's, it's just like it, it, it pulls you like bad filmmakers. When they attempt something like that, it pulls you out of the movie. This pulls you like into it more in a way yeah. towards the end when they're looking for the, uh, the killer, um, the, the Quetzalcoatl uh worshiper uh cult guy who's doing all the killings um they they tail someone and one, like one of the cops is undercover as a mime just yeah that's I, right. I i don't know why <laughs> just be- <laughs> oh i know why <laughs> because it's, it's, where, it's where that scene where it starts going wrong did you notice the mime like wants to scream but he can't cuz he's a mime <laughs> yeah what Q attacks, I think is when he pulls Roundtree away, he's like, ah, ah. Yeah. And, and, and so, like, that's the kind of movie we're dealing with here, but it's made by someone that actually has, like, a command of the craft, and, like, instead of it pulling me out of the movie, it pulls me back in. 
<laughs> and and yeah, like things like that. Like why is there there's a mime just for no real reason? <laughs> like it, it but it adds to the personality and like the flavor of the movie. And uh it's something it's hard to really put into words why it works. You really kind of need to see it to to get a handle on really if what we're saying even makes any sense because like normal movies don't do these things. <laughs> yeah, he, he's almost like I mean he's definitely within the realm of like a Roger Corman, you know, type producer filmmaker uh, with you know obviously less prolific, but um, he's in that realm. But there's almost like a weird sometimes like I'd say almost like a Terry Gilliam sensibility because like a lot of the crazy stuff we're talking about that's in Q like. None of it's really an accident, and it's all kind of put in there, like, either for a purpose or just to illustrate more about the character. Like, there's actually a lot of humanity in this yeah. film for all the weird left and right he, turns. He things. almost has, like, his own, like, his own unique brand of surrealism, almost. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, even, even the way, like, you know... Um, you know, like the stuff is another example where the the moments that are really like patterned after the blob, like it's not just like a straight up like you know like he really uses it to come up with some really bizarre visuals, you know, like in that one hotel room where it's like it's got the guy up on the ceiling and it's like you you can tell it's probably like a rotating room or whatever. Like he really tries to take it like he's not just shooting it as cheap as possible or just for shock value like he's really like trying to make it a memorable experience you know yeah um <clears throat> there's uh there's some other stuff to <clears throat> to say about this movie like um uh <clears throat> david carradine uh was in the military with cohen and they did um like theater together uh, at the military bases and so cohen was like i got a movie for you and caradine was like oh sure w anything and then he, he he agreed to do the movie before even getting the script and then when he got the script he was like this is a monster movie i don't want to do this and then <laughs> uh <laughs> caradine, and then he pretty much just told him like uh, well uh you you're starting work in like a day so I oh well <laughs> um yeah, Carradine's wrap up in the film is great too where he he just shoots the cult guy a bunch of times and then puts yeah he keeps coming up. back to life yeah like yeah. yeah he shoots him and then he keeps getting back up and he he even says like how many times do I have to kill this guy yeah. <laughs> So again, there's that just really bizarre and surreal sense of humor that's coming in. Um, supposedly, Bruce Willis uh, was in consideration for Carradine's role and Eddie Murphy for Richard Roundtree's role. Which sounds weird now, but remember, both of them were unknowns, basically, <laughs> when this movie came out. Uh, I mean, I would say more than anything, they probably didn't get it because Cohen was able to get more name actors, you know? Because, I mean, I mean, Carradine and Roundtree and Candy Clark and Moriarty, like, they probably don't seem like huge names to people, you know, sitting here thinking about them in 2019. But at the time, like, they had all been in... Uh, 
you know, uh, like especially with Moriarty and uh, Candy Clark, they had all been in like Oscar-nominated films and whatnot. <clears throat> you know, yeah. Um, uh, we should mention that uh, <clears throat> the that um, Ke- uh, Larry Cohen had some words uh, about. Uh, the 98 Godzilla film <laughs> uh, specifically yeah. to Dean Devlin and Roland Emmerich um, uh, when they had finished Godzilla and Godzilla was in its marketing phase and uh, um, uh, he ran into to Devlin somewhere probably maybe at a movie premiere or something and uh, this this is before Godzilla came out and then this is Cohen's version of the story um so you know this is uh what he says happened uh he said that when he ran into devlin he he knew that they'd made godzilla and he mentioned that they'd both made a giant monster movie and devlin (laughs) at that point kind of just uh changed tone and kind of ran away from him (laughs) um (laughs) And uh, <laughs> and then after seeing Godzilla, Cohen said, you know, they more or less stole the plot to Q, especially the stuff with the eggs and a New York landmark. Um, and he said, uh, you know, he, he didn't take any legal action, uh, which he thought was a wise choice because Devlin actually uh, bought um, one of his, uh, Cohen's screenplays, which was for the movie Cellular, which Devlin mm. produced um, years later. Uh, but the, but uh, Cohen had a, a, a good a good line there where he said, um, you know, they, the, the ending of Godzilla is straight out of Q, which it is a big tracking shot through a a building. And then the monster that you think is dead has a, an egg that didn't, uh, that, uh, we didn't know about and it hatches and cut to credits. I mean, it is the exact same ending. Um, but he said, uh, you know, the, the Godzilla cost $150 million. And if he had $150 million, he would make 150, uh, million movies. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, speaking of Godzilla though, um, uh, Matt and I, Matt, we talked, we mentioned this when we did our episode on the Godzilla animated series and yeah, goat, I've, going. yeah, goat, I've been trying to turn you on to that series, uh, for a while now, but they did an episode where the, 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 the with about the cuts of coddle, um, and that's the monster bird, Godzilla bird fight. Of, uh, Paradise yeah. Bird of Paradise is called, um, wow. Uh, but one of the main, I guess, guest characters is uh, it's the ex-boyfriend of one of the the main cast members, um, and that that character is named Lawrence Cohen after Larry Cohen. Wow! Um, and so yeah, Godzilla fights a Quetzalcoatl, and it's cool. And so I guess Larry's uh, theories of them ripping off this movie were probably had some truth. <laughs> well. Godzilla ninety eight ripped off many movies, <laughs> and I'm, yeah. Q, I'm yeah. sure, is one is one in a long list of movies that they they knew <laughs> uh, they were they were stealing from. Um, yeah, it, it, it got ninety eight Godzilla is Beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms, Q, Jurassic Park, uh, probably about a dozen others, <laughs> but yet not really much Godzilla. Um, uh, so yeah, no that that's um, that's fun stuff, um, and uh, yeah, uh, that there's um, 
a lot of trivia we've been over. I'm trying to think if we missed anything. Um, uh, yeah, this is, Cohen said this is his favorite of the movies he's directed. Um, wow. but yeah, I, I think, I think that covers a lot of the trivia stuff. Um, uh, but yeah, this is basically like, um, imagine like Reservoir Dogs with a subplot, with a subplot about a giant monster and another subplot about, uh, a serial killer doing ritualistic killings for, uh, this deity, the Quetzalcoatl. Um, I can't remember if it was Tarantino himself which it might have been, or um, someone writing about Tarantino, but they joked when Reservoir Dogs came out that Tarantino made Q uh, without the monster. (laughs) (laughs) I can see that. Because, I mean, the the scene is very reminiscent, I think. Oh, the actual heist is, because he leaves the car, um, you don't see the robbery, you hear some stuff, and then rushing back to the car for the getaway... Uh, it's very similar to the heist in, in Reservoir Dogs. Nobody has the diamonds anymore. <laughs> yeah. And it's all about diamonds, yeah. Yeah, I had a lot of fun with this movie. And, you know, I don't know who um, who holds the rights to it since it was a Larco production. But uh, this, along with the stuff, I really wish, uh, you know, there would have been some interest or somehow. I wish while Larry was alive... I, I wish he could have been one of those filmmakers who saw his uh, movies remade and reintroduced to a new generation. Yeah, I, I think the only remake he, that, en- that ended up getting made, I forget it even exists, I never saw it, but they, there was an It's Alive remake with, oh, yeah. uh, with I think, yeah. Bijou Phillips, and uh, yep. I think they just reused the Cohen's old screenplay, but I know he he found it appalling. He he just said, oh, it. Really? yeah, he he he's said very publicly how much he really disliked it. But yeah, he he didn't really get to see, um, I guess, a remake done right of his stuff. And uh, you know, a lot of these guys get bad remakes, but usually there's someone, yeah. But usually there's like one or two where you know they get to see their work done justice and. Yeah, it's unfortunate that we we didn't get there. I think the stuff could really be interesting uh, right now. Oh, one more story is... um, So, uh, this was um, co-produced by Samuel Z. Arkoff from AIP, American International. uh, And Arkoff uh, Productions was kind of his his venture uh, after AIP. which was Arkoff International Productions, and uh, <clears throat> Cohen tells the story that um, uh, word got around on New York for a sneak preview of a new science fiction movie, and uh, the rumor kind of morphed into there's a sneak preview for Steven Spielberg's Close Encounters of the Third Kind, uh, and then uh, so a whole bunch of people showed up for this screening, um, that uh, uh, people thought they were going to see Close Encounters. Um, and when the Arkoff name showed up at the beginning, about 50% of the audience left. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, uh, uh, and then Cohen said, no one gave the movie a chance uh, when they saw his name. Um, 
and then he says, uh, in, a, in attendance was um, uh, <clears throat> uh, Carl Reiner, um, the, the director and uh, uh, father of Rob Reiner. Um, and he said, uh, <laughs> uh, no one gave it a chance except for Carl Reiner and his wife, and they left, <laughs> left uh, they stayed for the first scene and then left. Yeah. Yeah, I heard Larry tell that story. I think I think he meant to say that people thought it was going to be E.T. E. Right, because I was, think, I was yeah. thinking that, too, the timeline. E.T. was 1982, the same year as, right. as, as Q, Q, and Close yeah. Encounters was 77, which is, you know, far removed from from uh, from 1982. So, yeah, it, it, he had to have been thinking of E.T. And th- there was, like, a weird fuzzy misconception too at the time back then i do kind of remember this that people thought somehow et was a sequel or somehow affiliated with close encounter so maybe that's what he was thinking in his mind right yeah but yeah but yeah i like that story uh the the it was carl reiner's wife right said uh said oh this is a chiller let's go (laughs) (laughs) uh well if that was she was what she was concerned about, I wonder if she got if she sat through a uh, misery. <laughs> Rob yeah. Reiner made a uh, misery. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> she probably she probably saw Kathy Bates and said, "Oh, this is a chiller." Like, <laughs> what are you doing with that sledgehammer there? Huh? Yeah. Oh God. Um. But no, the queue's a good time. Uh, I haven't seen it too much, so it was it was a pleasure revisiting it. And then this, coincidentally, we had this episode planned, and then, um, uh, like a few days after, Joe Joe Bob Briggs did Q on uh, the last drive-in, which Joe Bob is back on Shutter, which is awesome. And yeah. so, uh, I, not only did I get to revisit it there, but it was also my the first time I actually watched any of the new Joe Bob, and it was awesome. It I, I was transported right back into the old Monster Vision days, and uh, um, yeah, it, it, things just worked out. Um, but yeah, no, it was it was it was a, a delight. Uh, rewatching it and it, you know i forgot just how well written it is like matt said it's got that snappy dialogue it's 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 really uh it's it's really well written um so yeah i don't know how much left there is uh you i guess at this point we can go ahead and uh and give our ratings how many um how many squawking david carradines do you give this out of uh out of five or how many uh undercover mimes Oh, that's a good question. I think I'm going to go ahead and, you know, and and this is understanding once you know what you're getting into. Once you know what you're getting into and you're you're really taking the ride with this movie, I'm going to go uh, four undercover mimes out of five on this one. I enjoyed a lot. I probably, I actually already did start it, um, listening to the commentary track, so I'll be firing this up again real soon. Okay, three and I could I could see myself getting to a four. Um, uh, uh, on this viewing, though, I'm at a three and a half. I think. Um, uh, I mean, having all so many different plots and you know that and the monster kind of taking a back seat for a little bit of the movie. I don't so much mind 
anymore. Uh, I really enjoy the characters, the performances, the dialogue. Uh, for me, I'm, I'm going to go with a three and a half. Maybe on future viewings I can get to a four, but I just wish the, uh, the three plots tied up a, into each other a little nicer at the end. Um, yeah. But... Uh, you know, with with all three, I just feel like all three should have converged a little bit better at, at the very end. But um, but no, it's 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 a really a, a unique and interesting take on on the giant monster movie, and um, it being so different. Like I said, your mileage is going to vary, but um, it's the same thing I'd say about Cloverfield or Gareth Edwards' movie Monsters. Because people are like, oh, well, Cloverfield, like, I just didn't like the found footage thing. It's like, well, take away the found footage stuff. It's just another mo- movie you've seen before. Well, um, Monsters, like, it's kind of like a mumblecore romance drama lost in translation thing with some monsters in it. And it's like, okay, take that out, and it's another movie you've seen a million times. Same thing with Q. Take the gangster plot and the the police procedural stuff out. It's the same as any other giant monster movie. Um, if that's how you feel about it, that's fine. But for me, it is refreshing every now and then to get into something that is such a different version of something that I've seen a hundred times, and that's Q. Um, right. And so that's why I would recommend it. Um, so uh, three and a half undercover mimes. Uh, Matt, are you back with us? I, I am back. All right, Matt. Matt dropped. Uh, yeah, Matt dropped off for like two seconds. But uh, we're doing our ratings. Um, uh, uh, under how many undercover mimes? Squawking David Carradine's. Uh, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> crazy imp- improv jazz playing Michael Moriarty's. I mean, uh, how uh, any uh, meter you want to pick uh, out of five? How, where where do you sit on this one? Uh, I am at uh, three and a half massacred baby cues out of out of five. It's it's uh, I mean, you guys already kind of touched on all the stuff I would probably say, but it it's well worth your well worth your time. I'm actually trending upwards to towards a four. I was kind of debating between the two. Um, I think on future view- viewings, I could definitely get up get, get up to a four. And I, I think everybody in this film does it just a. Uh, fantastic job of drawing you in you got enough of the gore and the, the schlockiness of the 80s that that kind of creeps in plus the monsters have a lot of fun so i mean definitely worth a viewing and uh, i would i would strongly recommend this yeah and i i'd hope people that listen to this podcast um you know if you haven't seen the movie now hopefully your expectations can be a little bit more in check of just what kind of movie it is and yeah i'm at a three and a half and yeah, I, I could definitely see myself getting to a four on future viewings, but it's a lot of fun. Um, all right, does it, uh, either of you guys have anything else you want to add? No, just just not only watch this, but uh, watch some other Larry Cohen movies. Um, the ones I really recommend. There's a couple I haven't seen yet. I really want to see Bone and God Told Me To. Uh, oh, you are... haven't seen God Told Me To? No, both no. Of you guys ne- oh, you, both of you guys need to get on God Told Me To. God Told Me To is awesome. Um, yeah, unfortunately, I, I almost got to see it uh, last week or whenever it switched from March to April. I found out it was on demand on my cable. It was like March 31st. I downloaded it, and by the time it downloaded it, it was like actually expired, so I couldn't yeah, actually God, God it. told me to is uh, there's a bunch of murders. These people keep saying God told them to do it, and it turns out, like, uh, I'm not going to give away too much. It's this alien being who is maybe Jesus um and he's got this like vagina kind of <laughs> opening 
in him that, uh, like, the main character who, like, has to, like, put... Just watch it, okay? It's insane. God Told Me Too is awesome. Bone, I haven't seen Bone in so long, but Bone is great, too. The the plot synopsis from Bone sounds crazy. That's what really made me want to see it. Yeah, Bone uh, is about... um, this uh this rich white couple that are having marital problems and then this criminal who's like a big uh, african-american guy played by yafet koto breaks in and through the conflicts that arise from that um just i again i don't want to give anything away but it addresses a lot of uncomfortable uh racial issues um, yeah, no, check out some Larry Cohen. Check out the documentary King Cohen, um, especially if you don't know where to start. If you want something more modern, um, Cohen, uh, he wrote the, uh, the, the movie Phone Booth with um, uh, Colin Farrell and Kiefer Sutherland. Um, the, it's a, uh, kind of a thriller that's all set in the confines of a phone booth. Um, that's a really cool movie. Uh, I mean... There's if, a, if you like if you like black exploitation movies, my favorite black exploitation movie of all time is actually Black Caesar, which he made. That's a good one. Yeah. Um. Obviously, we we told people how awesome the stuff is. Bird. Yeah. One movie I really want to recommend to you, uh, if you haven't seen it, a good Larry Cohen movie. Uh, it's the one he made before the stuff called Special Effects. Have you seen that one? I haven't. Uh, I know about it. They talked about it a little bit in the documentary. It's about a director that makes a movie based on uh, a murder that he committed. Yeah, and... basically, like just for his own weird thrills, like he he basically makes a snuff movie, and then he decides he's going to. Uh, you know, shoot an actual feature film uh, around this murder, and he actually found finds like the woman's kind of like twin or doppelganger to star in the actual movie part, and he's going to insert this death scene into it, but it's like actually a real death. So, <laughs> I th- I, I, yeah, like all right, yeah, one, you um, you sold me on that on that one. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really worth seeing, and and, and it's good too because it has like the cinema verite, you know, low budget New York feel, but it actually is like pretty well done because you got um eric bogosian and then you have the girl that was in um uh, miss 45 so yeah okay yeah it's alive is another one um yeah. I, I watched the it's alive movie so much as a kid on cable i've only like, seen so. the first one but yeah that's the one about the woman that has a mutant baby that goes on a killing spree and it actually addresses like some difficult uh like um issues about parenthood and it's way smarter and better than a movie about a killer mutant baby <laughs> should be <laughs> yeah, i think it's uh well now ex-wife but his first wife was actually the the baby in some of the scenes too okay yeah yeah i heard that too like when they had to do like uh shots of like someone crawling and stuff like that yeah yeah like rick paper rick, rick paper rick baker made the uh the actual prop it's pretty neat. yeah yeah it, for people who don't know it it's a pretty the actual creature or baby or whatever you want to call it, it's, it's pretty creepy and iconic, you know, so. Yeah, I haven't seen the sequels. I know I've seen part two. I think I've seen part three. Yeah, maybe but, I'll uh, check those out too, but. Yeah. But no, I mean, the, the, he's got a full filmography of directing and screenplays. Um, I would I would think Phone Booth is probably one that people, younger people probably know the best. I remember that movie being kind of big when it came out. Matt, have you seen Phone Booth? Yeah, it's pretty yeah, awesome. yeah. I, I don't remember it well. I remember thinking it was okay. 
I haven't, yeah, I haven't seen it in ages, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that I'd like to revisit or, or watch again. Um, well, God, God told me to and Q are both on Shutter, so if you have Shutter, nice. you can check those out. Plus, King Cohen's on there. Yeah, I, is the stuff on there? I don't know. I yes. feel like this, okay, the stuff shows up on a bunch of streaming things every now and then. So, um, yeah. yeah, a lot of the stuff isn't too hard to to, to track down. But um, yeah, uh, we like I said, Q was on our list of uh, movies for. A long time now, and then with Cohen passing, and you know, getting the itch to rewatch or and check out some of his stuff, uh, this felt like a good time to do it. So, um, Larry Cohen's gone, Toby Hooper's gone, George Romero's yeah. gone, Wes Craven's gone. Um, like, we we lost all these guys in the span of like three years, two, yeah. yeah, three years, yeah, <laughs> like, and yeah, I mean. In the next ten years, I mean, ima- just imagine we're probably going to lose Carpenter and Cronenberg, and you take that back right now. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, everybody. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a really hard time as a you know somebody who grew up with a lot of these guys yeah. and kind of you know familiar with so many of their movies and to see them pass on it actually yeah. is sad because it's like you know it's not only part of your childhood kind of being you know washed away, but it's also. Uh, a lot of these guys represent some great times in the film industry, you know what I mean? So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, uh, I guess we'll head out now. So, go. thank you for joining us. It's always a pleasure. If anyone that listens regularly hasn't, I mean, check out Goat's podcast, The Movie Graveyard. He's had me and Trev and Matt and Tom. Yeah. He's had a lot of us on multiple times, and... Uh, Definitely check out, we did commentaries for Godzilla 98 and Gorgo. Um, and, uh, yeah. yeah, it's always a pleasure, sir. So, uh, oh, thank uh, you. thanks again. So, yeah, excited to talk to you guys again. And also, it was awesome to be able to talk about Larry Cohen. So, thank you, guys. All right, yeah. All right, we will head out. So, good night, everybody.